0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the BizCast. I'm Shannon King. So we have made it through election week, though we're still waiting on national results. The state results are in. To go through the upsets, flips, and landslides with me, I called Professor Gary Rose, Chairman of the Department of Government at Sacred Heart University, and friend of the pod and my graduate advisor, Professor Jonathan Wharton, Associate Professor of Political Science at Southern Connecticut State University. I asked them what the impact the top of the 2020 ticket had on down ballot races across Connecticut and what they think is going to be the most important issue for this new and slightly bluer General Assembly in the 2021 session starting in January. To find election results in your town, visit CBIA.com. We have them right on our homepage for you. Check out who your new legislators are, if any were elected and see if any of them signed the Rebuilding Connecticut Pledge. This is just the beginning, and we'll have all the resources you need to connect with your state legislators and make your voice heard. And with that, here's my nerd-out session with Professor Jonathan Wharton and Professor Gary Rose. Democrats, they extended their control over the Connecticut General Assembly on Tuesday, uh, gaining seven seats in the State House, two in the Senate, uh, and tentatively, uh, there's going to be a few recounts uh, that we're waiting on but democrats have a 98 53 majority in the house and a 24 12 advantage in the senate so starting in the house uh five incumbents all republicans lost their races and those seats were flipped to blue in places like avon and canton uh, a portion of waterbury cheshire and wallingford durham and madison and uh fairfield i should also mention that uh, house minority leader themis Claratus's open seat was flipped by a Democrat. So going back to 2018, we've been seeing this trend, particularly in Fairfield County, uh, moving more blue, but what happened in these other races in the suburbs and even the Valley that um, sometimes traditionally, traditionally goes uh, more Republican. So uh, Professor Wharton, do you wanna start with that?
1: Sure, I mean, especially since I, I know you know a bit of the Valley. Um, I was also following George Logan's race, uh, intensely too, right? Uh, another candidate who, obviously, a candidate senator who, who lost, uh, unfortunately. So I think that, yes, a part of it would be the, the Trump effect, especially in his case, because certainly that district is Woodbridge and Hamden, which is not even so much overwhelmingly Democrat. They just lean more Democrat. There's a lot of unaffiliated voters in that direction. I think for the most part, from what I could tell from the Valley, there were some early indicators that the Republicans seemed to, you know, hang on strong. But in the end, even for, as you mentioned, them as Claritus seats, uh, you know, the Democrats came through. Um, and so that was very interesting. So one thing about, you know, Claredes' seat was, it was it more about the party or was it more about them as And we can't forget that only a couple of years ago, right, she, she only received, what was it, 56, 58% of the vote? So it wasn't the usual overwhelming or resounding support that she would have had in the past. And again, that could be the Trump effect, even going back to 2016, if you if you wanted to go back to
2: that data,
0: yeah, absolutely, Professor Rose. You want to take a stab at that? Yeah,
2: well, you know, Connecticut is not Trump country, and the uh, the attitude out there among so many voters these days uh, is is so anti-Trump that I think that that's what really explained a lot of these uh, these these uh, state legislative elections that we're referring to right now. Um, you know, the, the top of the ticket really matters more and more these days in, in politics. And I'm sure John would agree with that, that, that the, uh, the straight ticket voting has been on a, a very discernible increase in American politics, not just here in Connecticut, but elsewhere too. And so much of that is a reflection of the, uh, the polarization that's been set in. You know, voters are, are very hardened into their views. And um, the individual at the top of the ticket really is their symbol. and represents the entire party, the entire ticket. And so that, that carries down into not just the congressional races that we experienced here in Connecticut, um, but also carries down into the state legislative races as well. And even actually, to some extent too, some work I've done lately into even the, the local contests that took place at, for the town councils, uh, you can even see some, yeah, you can kind of see the you know the the Trump effect uh, and the top the top part of the party the you know the national view of the party uh, in entering into into these even town council races and so I would I would say that uh, so much of it had to do with uh, straight ticket voting and um, really the influence of the top of the ticket um, you know for example in in Waterbury. Um, the 74th district, you know, Stephanie Cummings lost her seat. Now she was, she, with all, you know, um, full, full disclosure here, she was my student. And as I understand, Shannon is, was yours. Yes. I certainly was, was hoping that Stephanie (laughs) would hold on there because she really has done an extraordinary job, but yet, uh, you know, there was a, uh, a fairly popular Democrat that, that defeated her and she went down, but, uh, I have to attribute that really not to anything Stephanie did and certainly not to the, uh, the dynamism or the, the record of, of the individual who, who defeated her, um, who, who's involved in Waterbury politics too. But it had to be the, uh, I really think the top of the ticket just carried, carried her opponent in, into office.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. I mean, on the flip side, three Republicans flipped seats um, in the House in Stonington, in the Tolland area, and then in my uh, district of Southington and Berlin, uh, House 30, which, as we know, um, Speaker of the House, uh, our retiring Speaker of the House, Joe Arasimowitz, his seat uh, has been close for uh, many years now, and it finally flipped to Republican. So, I guess we started talking about this before, but maybe just this, um, this ticket splitting that, uh, maybe Connecticut voters have done in the past. Um, is this more a rejection of national politics or where is the embrace for state policy? Um, cause as we know, Connecticut has a lot of issues, um, are recovering from the pandemic and our pension obligations those have not gone away gone away um, so where where are Connecticut voters moving are is it really that uh, that national impact or that um, maybe rejection of uh, national politics at the federal level um, or are they still embracing is it our state politics and policies still important to them?
1: well uh, as a matter of fact, I, I would stress that um, it's more what is going on is, uh, I think during a gubernatorial race, which I think we'll see pretty soon, that's where it tends to come out. Uh, going back to Professor Rose's point, you know, even at the state level, we see that top-down effect for gubernatorial candidates and how that can at least uh, take place, uh, certainly for candidates even the General Assembly. So that kind of tie-in and even buy-in is important um, not just for voters, but even for candidates. So, as we're seeing who the candidates will step up to the plate for the governor's race, uh, certainly on the Republican side, uh, that can make the biggest difference for candidates in the future. And, you know, yes, the numbers won't be nearly as robust as we saw, you know, this week. Uh, but, you know, I think they tend to be very hardened voters who follow state and local issues. And so those people will turn out. And yeah, it's not going to be maybe close to the 80% that Denise Merrill is saying, uh, you know, the Secretary of State. You know, but it might be, let's say, uh, anywhere even 50, 60% in many places. So uh, I think that's where it's going to probably be most pronounced.
0: Professor Rose?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with uh, Professor Wharton that certainly, um, you know, the governor's races and, and the, uh, the candidates who come forward as, as governors certainly uh, have have altered dimensions here of Connecticut. Connecticut politics, you know, there was an, an old saying attributed to Tip O'Neill that all politics is local, but I, I'm for one now, and I used to, of course, teach that, <laughs> but, I will, but I will say that uh, increasingly, I, I'm beginning to think really, again, getting back to my original point about the top of the ticket, and who the nominees are of the, uh, of the parties, you know, for president, while I would agree with Professor Wharton that certainly gubernatorial candidates and the governor's office. Certainly has something to do with what's happening here in Connecticut. I would also uh, suggest that uh, so many of the issues, as they are being debated, you know, in in uh, Congress and the way that um, President Trump has conducted himself as well, um, and certainly even going back, you know, to to President Obama as well, that the way that uh, that those candidates and those presidents have articulated issues, I think that that works its way certainly into into Connecticut politics in a pretty deep way. So um, am I willing to say that all politics is national? No, of course not. Um, but I would say that the, the, national, uh, the national issues these days are certainly, um, I think, altering the way people view even some of these state senatorial and state representative candidates.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly. So uh, transitioning to the the uh, state Senate, um, so Democrats added two seats. Um, former state rep uh, Rick Lopes, he flipped the Senator Gennaro Bizarro district, which covers New Britain, Berlin, Farmington. And then for his second time running for District 17, um, uh, Professor Wharton, you mentioned uh, Senator George Logan lost his seat to George Cabrera. So um, to me, these seemed like two of two of the most vulnerable seats in the state Senate. So what finally made them flip blue?
1: Well, you know, I I think the dynamics in many of these districts really, they're never quite the same. You know, you could always say that yeah, it's a top-down effect. I I won't dispute that. I think it's also down to even the candidates as well themselves in terms of how they carry and, and act out, right? Sometimes part of this is personality driven. There's been an argument also internally with the Republican Party as to whether there should be so much emphasis or support for a lot of these races, even for the General Assembly, particularly during a national election year. So, you know, typically we don't see a windfall of money or support coming in. Of course, there's also COVID as well um, that, that took place this year. So how can you go around door knocking? Obviously, many candidates did. Some tried to. I think that even somebody like Charlie Ferraro, who's kind of a good reminder of this, he squeaked out that election, came very, very close. Thankfully, I've been in touch. Jen, I think, you know, I have still students who work on these campaigns. <laughs> and they were texting me, you know, what was going on. Certainly George Logan's race, certainly Kathy Kennedy. Um, certainly, you know, you know, the people that, that I tend to work for. I mean, matter of fact, even Nicole Clare has just called me <laughs> just now, as a matter of fact. And um, so and, and obviously she won resoundingly in the Valley. Um, so somebody sort of like Nicole's fascinating, right? Because she's got the persona, she's got the support. It's already kind of built in there. Yeah, part of this family, but a part of this also herself. So I think, many, and same thing with Charlie uh, Ferraro, right? He's very good at ground game. He's great at door knocking, but during COVID, how can you carry that out? And I think you might've even heard he was injured, unfortunately, out campaigning. So on, to add to that complex, we know that that's who he is as a person, right? He likes to door knock and that works in his favor. But for other candidates, even for the Democrats, it could be challenging to get out there. You might even remember Justin Farmer, another former student of mine, <laughs> uh, who was a councilman in, in, um, you know, in Hamden, tried to run against George Cabrera for the primary there uh, to go against George Logan. And for him, it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, it's very difficult to do door knocking in this environment. And so bring on the challenges between not getting maybe the support you'd want from the state party you'd hope for, uh, try to find the volunteers, but then you know, throw in the dynamics of, of COVID and, and door knocking initially, especially we can't forget, you know, back in the spring, but even in the summer a little bit, people weren't still on board with going door knocking. And obviously the notion of fundraisers, some did, some didn't do it. They had to do it outside, they had to do the venue, they had to do social distance. It's, it's very, very difficult um, to carry this out this summer.
0: Yeah, Professor Rose, if you can um, continue with that thought, we haven't even mentioned uh, COVID uh, up until this point in the interview. Um, But what kind of impact did that have not only on these two Senate races, but all the races? Um, You know, were candidates quick to embrace the digital? Was the digital as impactful as they thought it was going to be? Peer-to-peer texting, things like that. Or was it the candidates that actually hit the ground, knocked on the doors from six feet away that were able to pull it out?
2: Well, you know, Professor Wharton raises a, a good point about the ground game, and you know, I would like to know more about the ground games in the uh, in District Six and District Seventeen to see actually what transpired there. I would also like to look at at how the individual towns voted on the presidential level to really examine those two races. And I, again, I I would suspect that there, you you could. See what we were talking about earlier about the top of the ticket, perhaps influencing those races. But to your question concerning COVID, I mean, sure, it, it's a um, even though it it is an issue that uh, has been at least under the Trump administration at times delegated to the states. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that Trump Trump owns that issue, and um, and yes, I think Governor Lamont has actually done quite a remarkable job at times uh, handling the COVID issue. That might have have certainly factored into some of what we're talking about today about the the State House and the State Senate, you know, um, gaining Democratic seats, maybe because of Governor Lamont's leadership. Uh, I think there's could be something to that. But it was the lack of presidential leadership, I think, on the part of President Trump. Um, I don't know if, if Professor Wharton would agree with that statement. I don't know. But um, i I He, you know, he's perceived as really dropping the ball with COVID, whether he did or not. I think we can debate that, but the vast number of deaths and so forth that we have in this country now, that has to have entered into the minds of some of these voters when they uh, when they went to the polls. Not just for Biden versus Trump, but again with some of those races that we're uh, that we're exploring here at the subnational level.
1: Well, if I can add to Professor Rose's point there, um, I think it it certainly depends on the district. In a place like Novato Valley. Uh, you know, there's certainly resounding support for, for Donald Trump. It was apparent um, certainly this summer, and I certainly saw that even this week in, in going out there again. Um, so, uh, i you know, now in other places, especially places where we know there's more unaffiliated voters, maybe you know more Democrats, that that would obviously pose a challenge, and it was uh, in, in in some instances. Um, going back to George again to George Logan, I think that that really translated to his race, uh, unfortunately, and that was a key concern. Of course, we also can't forget he, he narrowly won by 77 votes the last time. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we can't ignore a place like Hamden. I mean, Hamden is a good part of the district, but, you know, it's one of several towns. Um, so, yeah, I guess what I was taken away by, Shannon, was just, I, I was expecting pickup seats for the Democrats in the House, right, in the General Assembly. I think we expected a few. But the Senate was really quite a That was amazing uh, to see the the numbers just shrink uh, even more so there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, staying with the General Assembly for just one last question. Um, So we have new leadership in the House and Senate with um, the retirement. So uh, Matt Ritter is now Speaker of the House. Uh, Vincent Candelora is Minority Leader. Uh, Senator Kevin Kelly is the minority leader in the Senate and Democrats, I believe are meeting today uh, to name their leadership team. Um, So with this new leadership, with a new slightly bluer General Assembly for the 2021 session, uh, which by all accounts that I'm seeing, it's going to be primarily virtual. So it's going to be a very interesting ride. Um, But what do you guys think is going to be the top issue for this legislature next session?
2: Well, I guess I'll take a stab at that. Uh, I think we have a looming deficit, from what I understand. And I see the numbers changing all the time. But nevertheless, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a very substantial deficit coming. And so uh, I would suggest that, uh, and this is going to be a very interesting test, I think, of, uh, of Governor Lamont um, in terms of um, resolving what has become, I think, a state that uh has plunged unfortunately deep into debt and we have a uh, an extraordinary problem up there in terms of balancing our budget um and that combined with the fact that uh, connecticut now is ranked way down the bottom and then the rankings seem to vary but i think the last time i looked and again don't quote me exactly on this but i think we were ranked like in the number 48 out of the 50 states in terms of of having a, a an economy that was recovering you know and again that figure might be a little wrong so I think that um, dealing with the budget deficit and stimulating the economy that has to be really uh, you know what I think governor Lamont is gonna have to uh, focus on Um Our state is hurting, it really is. This used to be, you know, I grew up in Connecticut. I'm from Connecticut, I've lived in Connecticut other than just being in grad school and when I was in the the army and stuff. But since 1951, and this used to be a very prosperous state. In fact, we were the most prosperous in the country. And now we're we're ranked way down the bottom in terms of economic recovery. We're ranked way down the bottom in terms of our um, ability to meet um, obligations, you know, of uh, pension obligations. That's a real problem. That's something, too, that the governor is going to have to work on pension obligations. The liabilities are are, is unbelievable up there with uh, the the public employee unions. So I would say the two things to answer your question would be um, deficit reduction and stimulating uh, jobs in in Connecticut.
0: Yeah, um, Professor Wharton, before you uh, answer that, um, I just want to mention that uh, Connecticut has been in the middle of the pack in terms of um, job recovery and economic recovery and sustainability during COVID. Um, So this presents a really interesting opportunity for our state. You know, like Professor Rowe said, we've been at the bottom for a long time in terms of economic rankings, um, but now- uh, it's sort of been an equalizer, if I can use that term. Um, and obviously, we've we've seen a, the really great job that Governor Lamont and um, state agencies have done in terms of keeping our positivity rate fairly low. Obviously, it's um, ticking up a little bit, but we, you know, we're we were anticipating that to happen and um, making those mitigation plans to bring it back down or keep it low. Um, so, is there an opportunity here um, for? Really um, bringing back jobs, creating those jobs, um, keeping that business climate um, healthy, um, and uh, coming back from this COVID pandemic recovery? I think we've
1: been seeing some early indicators that uh, a number of people have actually migrated now to, to uh, Connecticut from New York, especially. Um, you know, we're seeing this more in the last six months. And I guess my big question is. Is that going to be sustainable for beyond six months? Could it last for maybe another year, maybe even two years? Some early indications from the state tax office is saying that if this is going to continue for even three years, we could see a pickup of of more money um, in terms of taxes and revenue, because a lot of people who are coming from New York are wealthier and they tend to live in Fairfield County, or they're even looking outside Fairfield County. Um, Some indicators are saying they're even looking in Hartford and even New Haven County, which is kind of interesting to me. So... This kind of New York diaspora effect of COVID, uh, you know, I like to kind of call it, um, has, has really been interesting. Now, I'm not expecting this to be a windfall or this is gonna save Connecticut. I think this is just some icing on the cake. Uh, we know that we have bigger issues and trouble on the horizon. It's been a, a continuous issue. The one thing, Shannon, that you know very well, especially being my classes, is I'm always hammering about economic development in cities, that we've got to find a, a better way of working with our cities and seeing some actual results in economic development approaches um, towards uh, any kind of zoning planning change that's necessary so we can see robust downtowns and viable communities and neighborhoods and really get to the underlying problems in in many of our urban cores. We're gonna draw in younger people, especially, and especially near public transit, we need to consider that part of it because migration and people staying here is key. And while we're speaking about the generational consideration, I do wanna, Throw in there certainly the you know silver tsunami that will be happening very soon, with some of the contract changes in 2022, and I think we're already seeing this even in higher ed. Um, So you know the contract changes will be happening very soon, and it's going to be affecting a number of of baby boomers who who are going to be ready to retire uh, if they're not retiring now. And so that's going to be a big part of the workforce for the state government. And I think especially in higher ed, the numbers are somewhere around a third at least. Uh, and for the state system, I'm hearing maybe closer to 30%, 25%. Still, it's a good chunk of the economy. Well, how is this going to work for continuity's sake? <laughs> and there's going to be so many retirements taking place, but then we're seeing hiring freezes, especially in some state agencies during right now when we know we have an economic crisis uh, for the state of Connecticut, let well, alone the United States. It's very, very tricky ground and something that I hope the state government is going to find a way to, to address in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're making moves to make that transition a little easier, you know, using technology with these hiring freezes and retirements um, and just streamlining. So uh, we're going to see that continue through 2022 for sure. Um, so if we can uh, transition to national politics. Um, so everyone's on the edge of their seats right now. So we're recording this on. Friday, uh, November 6th, it's about 1030. So uh, right now, former Vice President Joe Biden, he's leading in Pennsylvania, currently sitting at 253 electoral votes. And Trump, uh, last time I checked, he's still sitting at 214. So... According to my math, and tell me if I'm wrong, um, if Joe Biden wins Pennsylvania, we should be hearing back from that state first. Um, he will be the next president of the United States and then will also um, also won the popular vote um, and also crush the previous record of the most votes recorded for a presidential candidate. Uh, president Obama held that one before. So uh, we sort of touched on this before, but if we could go back to it um, – we could certainly talk for days about the implications of a biden presidency on the country but putting that aside what is the impact um, or what could the impact be of a uh, biden presidency on connecticut particularly in the next wave of general assembly races the governor's race in two years um we are having senate races in a few years you know by my calculations um they will have a positive impact. So um, the, those Senate seats will not be as, you know, contested at all. Um, so what what are your thoughts on uh, the impact of a Biden presidency on Connecticut moving forward?
2: Well, it's, it is somewhat difficult to tell exactly what a Biden presidency is going to be about because um, there was very little um, – discussion on his part in terms of what his his agenda would be uh, and so it, it is difficult to predict that but nevertheless um that said you know joe biden uh, does have a long record as a uh, as a moderate uh, in in congress and as vice president he kind of towed the moderate line on that and so i i would be inclined to say that um you know, I don't think under a Biden presidency, we're going to see the progressive wing of the party, uh, you know, grab grab hold of Biden, as many are claiming. So I don't think you're going to see this, you know, this Green New Deal and Medicare for All and all of that stuff that a lot of people were suggesting was going to come. I, I would probably be inclined to say that uh, you are going to see a, a commitment, um, again, under Joe Biden to defense spending. And I think that would be very good for the Connecticut economy. Um, and he, I don't think he is going to be captured as Trump was suggesting you know by um, AOC plus three and all of these and all of that going on in Congress. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if there is a commitment to uh, defense spending, which would be very good of course, for Connecticut's economy. So much of our economy revolves around that. Um, he is, he does say that he's going to go after the Trump, the Trump, uh, tax cuts. I don't know how that's going to affect Connecticut. It could have, uh, an effect obviously, you know, on our state, because there is a lot of wealth in, in Connecticut and how that's going to affect corporate development in Connecticut. That might have a, that could be a downside to it, but overall, uh, and I do think you're going to find a, a commitment to healthcare on his part, which certainly would be very good for, um. Yeah, I think the. Uh, I mean, you you can look at it two different ways there because he you know he's talking about a public option, um, but at the same time he's not going to eliminate you know private insurance and so, I would I would say probably in the area of defense spending um, health commitment to healthcare which can stimulate jobs certainly, um, kind of coming from the government side of things, um, and and um, I would probably be inclined to say that. Um, Tax, tax, you know, tax um, reform, higher taxes. Actually, um, going to go after the, the the Trump tax cuts. I think that could have somewhat of a negative effect on, on our economy. So I kind of see a mixed a mixed view coming from Biden in that respect.
1: Yeah, I agree with Professor Rose. I'd also add that you know, recently we heard about electric boat uh, receiving certainly those contracts, additional money, and you know, that's a good start at least. And and obviously that's, that's coming from the Trump administration, but some of that carryover effect could be tremendous for our economy. I will add that it, being a little bit more specific, maybe with the tax uh, changes that might happen, I'd be interested to see what will happen with those hedge fund companies, uh, especially the that, that dot around the, you know, the, the shoreline in Fairfield County, especially, uh, because we know that uh, you know, that's considered significant investment. Any tax changes to take place, especially related capital gains could, could be a concern um, for an industry like that one, and, and certainly for an economy like ours. So that, that would certainly be something that I'd like to follow and know. Um, I'd still like to know what's going to happen with the real estate <laughs> industry, um, you know, especially related to salt and, and other taxes, tax changes that have happened in the past, and what that could lead to here in Connecticut. I think, I mean, Shannon, you know this, you're on the front lines dealing with like the Connecticut Real Estate Association among other organizations. And again, going back to what I said about number of people relocating from New York because of COVID, you know, we're seeing certainly an increase in real estate, but could there be a change with the tax changes under Biden, for good or for bad? Uh, There's something I'd I'd like to follow and know, um, especially here, um, considering our our economic climate in in Connecticut.
0: For the latest COVID-19 information, visit cbia.com. Follow us on Twitter at CBIA News and on Facebook Call us anytime at 860-244-1900. Stay safe out there.